bulletin is from the Press Radio Bureau. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hello, and welcome back to the FrameLab podcast. Hey, George. Hey, Gil. So there's been a lot going on in the past few weeks, almost too much to consider. It's been like drinking from a fire hose, from Stormy Daniels to Michael Cohen to Trump dropping bombs on Syria and then not telling his uh, lead diplomat uh, at the UN, Nikki Haley, that he was not going to impose the Russia sanctions that his own administration had recommended. Um, what do you make of all this madness and chaos? You had said that Trump had no end to chaos. So what do you see us heading toward here? Well, uh, I think we're heading toward a very interesting time where there is a lot of threat to Trump, uh, whether it's threat from the Mueller investigation or the investigation of uh, Michael Cohen, uh, etc., uh, but I think that he is under threat, and he knows it. And um, that leads us to a very interesting thing. Um, Trump works by a metaphor that he is the nation, the president as the nation. And therefore, anything that threatens him as the president is a national security threat. And so uh, when uh, Michael Cohen's office was uh, taken, broken into by the uh, FBI. That was seen as a threat to national security by Trump. Why? Because it's a threat to him. And as long as he sees himself as the nation, any threat to him is a threat to national security. Uh, And that goes back for some time. Um, You recall that uh, when Scaramucci was in the White House, uh, he wanted the FBI to investigate all leaks from the White House as national security leaks, uh, even though they were all leaks about things that were threatening to Trump. You know, that only makes sense if you assume that the the president is the nation. You wrote about this last August. um, You wrote an essay on Medium called The President is the Nation. And at the time, I'll admit, I didn't understand why you were so uh, fascinated by this idea and by this metaphor. But it has become increasingly clear that Uh, this idea, this metaphor that Trump uses, president as the nation, himself as the very meaning uh, of America, uh, has become more important in his thinking and in how we perceive it. And other people, you know, the pundits who are always slow to figure things out, are starting to now say, does Trump think that he is the only thing that matters in America? So what does it mean in terms of democracy for a president or his cronies uh, to see the president as the nation? Well, it's like having a dictatorship, basically. Uh, It means that other uh, means of uh, checking the president, after all, we have a system of checks and balances. Any uh, checks on presidential power is seen as uh, a violation of the Constitution, as being anti-American, against the unpatriotic, and so on. So that's one obvious place uh, where that's the case. any law enforcement agency, like the FBI or the CIA or whoever, 
is seen as going uh, against the nation, as uh, giving up on national security and not doing their job, uh, you know, for protecting the nation, um, and so on. That is part of, of what Trump is saying. It's what he's saying about the FBI. That's what he's saying about the people in the uh, New York office and so on. And that's one of the, I think, one of the places where even if you're a, a, a Republican, um, not an extreme Republican, to see the FBI and law enforcement and our intelligence agencies under attack by the president. These are all Republican people. You know, Jim Comey, Republican, Robert Mueller, Republican, Marine. Uh, these are the kinds of people that Republicans tend to revere and respect and throw all of their support behind. So for the very legitimacy of law enforcement to be questioned or undermined because the president takes precedence over everything, uh, it seems like a real tell uh, in terms of that this is how they think, this is the mentality they've adopted. So what else can we expect them to think if they actually believe and think that the president is the nation? Well, let's take Congress for a minute. Um, you know, uh, the uh, uh, majority leader of the Senate, uh, Mitch McConnell, has said that he does not want to have legislation that would uh, protect Mueller and the Mueller Commission. And uh, and he just gives an excuse saying, well, you know, Mueller is not really threatened. There's no point to this legislation, et cetera. But there's, uh, even though he knows that if that came up in the Senate, it would probably pass. Because if people didn't vote for it, then, you know, uh, they might lose uh, the next election. So uh, the question is, why is it that... Uh, Mitch McConnell is taking this position. And the position is pretty easy to understand. In strict father morality, uh, which is what uh, we've talked about a lot, uh, where um, the uh, father is an authority in the, in the family, this maps onto um, the, uh, the nation. And the idea there is that, that strict father morality is what governs conservatism. In conservatism and strict father morality, the highest value, and in the family, is preserving the authority of the father and hence the authority of conservatism itself. That is why, for example, when Obama was president, if he took uh, uh, conservative positions, say the Affordable Care Act, which is originally a Republican suggestion, um, uh, the Republicans attacked him on it. Why? Because if he got credit for it, it would hurt conservatism. And uh, this is a general thing that has happened in, throughout uh, the uh, use of Republican power in the, in the Senate and the House to stop Obama and the Obama administration. But it also says that um, they want to keep that conservative power which they have under Trump, because Trump has strict father morality, and he is a sort of a cover for what uh, is happening in Congress. So the president as the nation metaphor is essentially just a playing out in a very direct way of strict father morality. And you've, you've made a list of the ways in which this plays out through all the parts of our political system. Do you want to kind of share some of that and we can talk about some of the points you make? Well, for example, uh, Trump assumes that govern, senior government officials who are supposed to serve the nation and who take an oath to serve the nation, he assumes that their job is to serve the president. 
uh, Jeff Sessions is the most obvious case, where he was furious at Sessions for recusing and refusing to just protect the president. Uh, you know, whereas uh, Sessions... Same thing now with Rosenstein. Rosenstein. I mean. Same thing with Rosenstein. He's a Republican appointee, uh, you know, and uh, the assumption is, well, he's there to serve the president. And... Um, that, so the metaphor of the president as the nation says anybody who's serving the nation should be protecting the president. Uh, and then there's the question of swearing allegiance. You swear allegiance to the country. And uh, what uh, uh, Trump wanted Comey to do was to swear allegiance to him. You know, whereas, you know, again, the president is the nation. Comey said, I serve the nation. I serve the truth. That was a pretty direct request there to do that. And now Comey's been getting, uh, he, he seems to have a special talent for drawing the ire of Donald Trump. Um, you know, with his new book being out, his descriptions of Trump. Trump's been attacking him nonstop on Twitter. So, but it all started off, if you if you think about it, with Comey mm -hmm. refusing to swear that allegiance in the way that Donald Trump wanted it sworn on a personal level. Well, you know, for example, uh, if you believe this metaphor, then the president could not possibly obstruct justice because he is justice. Didn't Richard Nixon say something along those lines? That's exactly what Nixon believed. If the president does it, it's not illegal. Was if the, the president does it, it's legal. You period. were there. I wasn't. So <laughs> I was there. You know, if the president does it, it's legal. And, you know, that, that only holds if you believe that the president is the nation. What else follows from this? Well, um, so, for example, um, the Mueller investigation can show all sorts of uh, cases where uh, uh, Russia has something on Trump. Could be money laundering, connections to the mafia, uh, of all sorts of things, in addition to the obvious, you know, salacious tapes and so on. But uh, that, uh, if if uh, the president is the nation, then the president is uh, defending national security. If he uh, tries to uh, be good, kind to Russia, to uh, not impose more sanctions and so on, what that says is he's doing that to preserve good relationships between him and Russia and hence between the country and Russia. So he's act acting in favor of national security instead of against it. So um, In his mind. In his mind. When actually what he's doing is sacrificing what's good for the country for his own personal exactly. benefit, if you look at this with clear but eyes. Un but under this metaphor, that cannot happen. Mm -hmm. So in his mind, that cannot happen. And the minds of those who are preserving his power. Right, because it's not just Trump. I mean, he's acting as a as a regime here. Well, the people who are preserving his power may be acting according to the metaphor, but not necessarily believing it. I think he believes it. Mm. I think it, that he really takes it for granted that this is true, and acts naturally that way. I think other people figure it out. So um, there are other kinds of things, uh, and um, so. For example, what about the press? When the press gets too close, when the press uh, reveals news that uh, threatens Trump, he sees the press as the enemy of the people. That is, it's, uh, the press is uh, saying not only fake news uh, for that, because if, notice, it has to be fake for this. If, it, they, if the press says it's working in favor of the nation and against Trump, that can't be true under this metaphor. 
So it has to be fake. So if Trump believes this metaphor, then anything that the, the press does uh, to get to characterize truths that are important to the nation but that threaten Trump are really threats to the nation. So, so the truth is a threat to the nation under this metaphor. The truth. Anything true that undermines Trump's claim to sort of the uh, legitimacy or complete sovereignty to be the, the most important power in the land. Even worse, they're not truths. They're fake mm -hmm. news. That is, that if you if you believe and fix the idea that the president is the nation, then uh, you cannot have any news, whatever, or any truths that are possible that would be good for the nation and bad for the president. That is an impossibility. So that must be fake news. And it was just tax day, so the same goes for his tax returns, right? Revealing his tax returns is a threat to him, and therefore a threat to the nation, right? So he's not going to reveal his tax returns because he's protecting the nation. So all of those things follow, you know, follow in an, in an obvious way to him. That it is not, uh, you know, even questionable for him. Uh, and then what about uh, the fact that Hillary Clinton got 3.5 million votes, more than he did? He has to say that that's false. He has to not threaten his legitimacy because it would threaten the legitimacy of the election in general. So what he's doing is, is saying, well, there must be 5 million people who voted illegally. And he makes that up to fit the metaphor of the president as the nation. This does seem a lot like the kinds of things that dictators in other countries do. Um, you know, Kim Jong-un, the... the the, the ruling North Korean family had a whole mythology about the grandfather being born on a mountain from the hand of God, essentially. Um, so this idea that Trump is infallible is what this metaphor sets up. So he could not have been the loser of the popular vote because that doesn't fit with the strict father metaphor. It doesn't fit with the president uh, is the nation metaphor. We are, uh, he would like to stop us from talking about Russia, about the criminal investigations, about the payoffs of the porn stars and the Playboy bunnies, because these things make him look weak and bad as a person, and therefore, in his mind, uh, are actually attacks on the nation, which is what he called it when uh, when Michael Cohen's office was raided. It was considered an attack on the nation, which usually we reserve for something a lot bigger than the police and law enforcement reading uh, of a real estate developer's personal lawyer. Um, what did you see in, in, in this characterization of the raid on Michael Cohen's office? Well, uh, what that says is it's a threat to the president and therefore a threat to the nation. That is, uh, it is, it should be seen therefore as illegal and immoral and uh you know a threat to national security and that's what he said <laughs> you know that uh, everything's broken down so that that is a crucial thing to understand and then there's the emoluments clause the fact that uh trump is getting rich on the presidency and this is something if you just think about it suppose you believed completely that the president was the nation the Emoluments Clause wouldn't make sense. Why? Because if the president got rich, the nation would get rich. 
nothing wrong with the nation getting rich. So if you take Trump's hotel in Washington, and there are all these foreign leaders staying at Trump's hotel to gain favor with Trump, that is not, uh, you know, uh, an emolument or anything like that, or un anything unconstitutional. According to him. According to him, and from his point of view, from his point of view, from the point of view of this metaphor, the nation is the is a per the person president is the nation. Uh, they're just um, staying at the National Hotel, the one that is most uh, convenient for them, that serves the nation best. Well, to be clear, this is not something Trump is making up or inventing. This is how banana republics and dictatorships have long worked. The families of the dictators get rich. Mm -hmm. Everything is based on turning their power into profit. Look at Vladimir Putin. Some say he's the richest man in the world. And he spent most of his life in government as an intelligence agent in the KGB. So uh, the use of government to build the private personal fortune of the dictator is uh, the kind of the, the main reason for uh, having dictatorships and, and banana republics. And so in a way, the president of the nation is a serious threat. The president is the nation metaphor is a serious threat to democracy. Well, uh, this is certainly true in Russia, where uh, Putin just says uh, he shows that Russia is strong. As long as he is in charge, then Russia is strong because it's led by a strong leader. And that, that is a, his version of the president is the nation. In China, we have President Xi, who has now declared himself president for life. Well, the president is the nation. He's obviously president for life. How could he not be? And anything that's good for him and his corrupt cronies around him uh, is good for China. You know, it's good for capitalism in China and so on. So this is, is something that is not just true in banana republics, but also uh, in Russia and China, major, major countries, major powers. Uh, you know, in Turkey, it's, it's the case. Authoritarian powers. All authoritarian powers. So it's a trend, and Donald Trump is trying to get America on trend with the authoritarian president is the nation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Same is true in Hungary and Poland. So how do we beat this metaphor? What do we need to do to make people aware of what's happening, and how do we undermine it? What's well, the answer? To undermine it, you have to undermine, you have to separate the president from the nation. So you have things like no one is above the law, starting with the president, right? That would make no sense if the president was the nation, because then the president would be the law, right? So no one is above the law, you know, including the president, says that. That's a traditional view. It's been there from the Constitution on, yet, you know, it, ha it does undermine this metaphor. Other things undermine the metaphor. Separation of powers. The fact that the, um, uh, the courts and the uh, Congress have separate powers uh, co-equal with the administrative branch. Uh, that uh, undermines the idea that the president is the nation. It says there are other powers, sources of central power, equal power within the nation, and that those people in those institutions have a responsibility to the nation, not to the president. Now, this is tricky in Congress these days when it's run by Republicans, because the Republicans are getting everything they wanted, on the, uh, which is, comes out of strict father morality, 
That is, they want, all the conservative views are being fulfilled with Trump as president. Trump is helping them do that. And so they want to keep Trump as president. And so the metaphor of the nation, uh, president is the nation, serves uh, the interests of Republicans in Congress. You know, that's an important thing to understand when you're talking about Republicans in Congress versus Republicans in general in the country, which is a very different kind of thing. So because Republicans in the country could be uh, partly progressive on lots of things. And whereas in Congress, they've got to be strictly conservative. So that is another very important part of this whole story. Or um, take uh, the, the following case. Take the issue of global warming. Now, uh, what happens in uh, the moral hierarchy of conservative thought, that is, of strict father, the strict father hierarchy, the rich is above the poor. Employers are above employees, etc. That is, uh, uh, laissez-faire capitalism has reign. It is it reigns in the country, and that is exactly what uh, Trump has been supporting, and what Republicans in Congress have been supporting. Well, uh, it turns out that if you believe that uh, uh, there really is global warming, as ninety-seven percent of the scientists point out. And if you, uh, you know, believe that we have to stop it, that it's imminent, that it's already happening, that climate disasters are uh, because of humanly caused global warming and we have to stop drilling and so on, that would cut into profits of corporations. It would go against laissez-faire capitalism. It would go against the very notion of what strict, the strict father hierarchy says. Well, you can't go against that in conservatism. Conservatism is dedicated to preserving that, and so Trump is also dedicated to preserving it as well as, as the Republican Congress is. So you've got to have Republicans in Congress as well as Trump saying uh, there is no humanly caused global warming. Drill, baby, drill. But how do we undermine the framing there? Because global warming is one of the issues. There are many other issues on which what the president of the nation metaphor enables is for one man to be more important than everybody else and for that man to act on behalf of, in the interest of, the few instead of the many. So he acts on behalf of corporations and their profits. He acts on behalf of the small groups of racists and other groups that support him, his extreme base. And so really it comes back to the president is the nation undermines democracy and undermines the public good for the majority of people under the guise of a system of government where only one person really matters and what he decides is good is good for everybody, whether or not that's true. Right. And that also applies to voting. It applies to voting in a very important way. Uh, right now, um, you have voter ID laws, which are attempts to keep um, uh, Latinos and uh and African Americans uh, and many poor people from voting because they would not vote to keep uh, Trump and the Republicans in power. So what that has led to is um, laws that allow you to check voting rolls across the states and therefore to eliminate from voter rolls uh, people who have names similar to names of other voters in other states. And the way this has been carried out under Chris Kobach uh, who is uh, who um, uh, 
was the voting uh, law czar set up by uh, by Trump, but who has been running these cross uh, uh, you know cross, cross state checks on voter rolls. What he has done is to uh, go through voter rolls and see who has uh, common Latino names. Garcia. You see a Jose Garcia here, a Jose Garcia here, there. Uh, one of them must be false. We get rid of the extra Jose Garcias, uh, etc. You go and you see the name Washington, and you know that most people who have the last name as Washington are, are African Americans. And you see, uh, you know, a, um, uh, a uh, John Washington here and a John Washington there. Well, one of them must be a false voter, and you get rid of them, even if they have different middle names. You ignore the middle names. This is how that's being carried out in, uh, in getting rid of uh, uh, African American and Latino voters. So the president is the nation metaphor extends to mean that anybody who doesn't support the president doesn't get to be a real American. And any tactics we use to get rid of you, to not let you vote, to take away your power, follow under that metaphor. The president is the nation, and people who support the president are the real Americans. And everyone else, we're going to take away your rights, undermine your voting abilities. And uh, once again, we have this major threat to democracy under the um, and putting us under the impression that what, what the Republicans are really trying to do here under Trump is instill a more authoritarian-style government like we see in Russia. So I think what I hear you saying, George, is that one of the most important things we can do to try to undermine this is to name what is happening, to make it clear that we see that, and to make it clear that that is an, an assault, a dangerous assault on American values. That is, you look at every case where there is a difference between supporting the nation and supporting the president. Look wherever it is, whether it's in voter rolls, whether it's in health care, uh, any place at all. Look at where the difference is and talk about that difference out loud and say, we are for the nation, you know, and it doesn't matter. The president is not for the nation. This is a government of, by, and for? The people. Now we're going to switch gears here. Um, we just talked about the president as nation metaphor, but we're going to talk about another really important topic that's been in the news a lot in recent weeks, and that is Cambridge Analytica, the company in England that uh, went around claiming it had really done more than anyone to swing the election for Donald Trump after harvesting over 50 million uh, data from over 50 million Facebook users through personality tests and other kinds of tricks to try to develop psychographic profiles of voters and figure out how to sway them or swing their votes to more conservative views. By the way, this is a practice they also claim to be carrying out in multiple other countries where they've done things like create fictional scandals. In the American presidential race, they claim to have really uh, created the terms the wall and the swamp. There's a lot of question, though, about whether or not a lot of the claims they make are true, and how effective they actually were. Um, Andy Kroll, in a in a big, amazing story in Mother Jones, sort of says that they were not as effective as they said they were. Some people would say they were not very effective at all, but that they actually were very effective in getting Republican campaigns to pay them millions and millions of dollars um, to do services that in some cases, according to Mother Jones magazine, never materialized. However, We'll let people read those stories for themselves and sort of figure out all the twists and turns in the narrative of Cambridge Analytica. 
But the more important point here, George, is something that the proprietors of Cambridge Analytica say very clearly and acknowledge, something that kind of connects with your work. Here's a quote from one of the high-ranking officials at Cambridge Analytica captured on an undercover camera uh, by Channel 4 in the UK. This could have come straight out of Don't Think of an Elephant. Here's the quote. It's no good fighting an election campaign on facts. George, you've been saying this, uh, something similar to that for a very long time. What's the most important thing you think people need to realize about what the Cambridge Analytica scandal can teach us? Well, uh, there's a big difference between our discussion of facts in election campaigns and the Cambridge Analytica's, but there's also a similarity, and the similarity has to do with uh, the fact that we don't really think using enlightenment reason, uh, and let me tell you what that has to do with uh, cam campaigns on facts. The uh, Enlightenment reason says that all thought is conscious. We now know it's probably uh, as much as 98% unconscious. Consciousness is very small. Uh, en enlightenment reason says that people reason by logic, as if almost like mathematical logic and proving theorems or something, but they reason by just normal, like mathematical logic. Uh, this isn't true. People reason in terms of frames, conceptual metaphors, uh, narratives, emotions, imagery, and so on, as anybody who studies uh, uh, advertising can tell you. That's how people really reason. So the question is the difference between real reason and uh, what is called enlightenment reason. And folks in the Democratic Party tend to believe in enlightenment reason. Uh, and uh, that's an important thing. And there's a difference between enlightenment reason and enlightenment institutions. And I think we want to say that enlightenment institutions are things like Congress, uh, things like scientific institutions, uh, and so on, in, the, uh, uh, in industry uh, institutions, and so on, all sorts of other institutions that you find uh, in a democracy. Uh, those are very important things. Enlightenment reason has to do with how individuals actually think. And they don't think according to what Descartes said. Uh, how do they think? They think in terms of frames. We were talking about framing all the time. And values, particularly. That is, frames ultimately are there uh, because they represent values in politics. All politics is about morality and about your moral values. Why? Because if any political leader says, uh, here's my position, my policy, do what I say, the assumption is that it's right and not wrong or irrelevant. And if it's right, it's got to be about your values, and your values are part of your identity. Everybody wants to think that they do what's right, or at least try to do what's right, uh, and that means that in their very identity, uh, their values play a huge role. Now, the question about elections is that elections, therefore, are about values. And uh, the facts may or may not reflect values. Facts are important. It's not that they're irrelevant. They're important when they affect moral values and have moral consequences. So one of the things you've been saying for decades is that conservatives excel at using science and technology to try to win at politics. They have accepted the science of communications. They understand that there are deeper 
mechanisms at work in the brain, in human psychology, and that enlightenment reason, uh, trying to convince people only with facts, only with what's reasonable, is not uh, what what works. Um, in this case, though, it seems that with Cambridge Analytica, they were trying to use a different method to reach people. They were using psychographic research, psychographic profiles, creating sort of a, a a basic psychological profile of a potential voter and attempting to use those facts, those those uh, mechanisms of a person's supposed psychological profile to manipulate their their vote. Do you think that psychographic research, which is used in a lot of marketing, is the same thing as determining a person's values? It's not the same thing, but they're related, and they're related in an interesting way. Um, the um, psychographic profiles have to do with things like, are you open to new experiences? Are you introverted versus extroverted? Uh, you know, are you neat versus sloppy? Things like that. You know, what is your personality like in terms of variables like that? And that has come out of research in the universities, even especially uh, the tests used uh, uh, by Facebook. Uh, 270,000 people took a personality test on Facebook, and that test was dev devised by one of my colleagues at Berkeley. Now, uh, the, uh, what they did with the test was take the results of that personality test, whatever they were, and compare them to... Uh, the general statistical results coming out of Facebook, uh, what was on Facebook, so that they could see, com see from the personality test answers and the Facebook answers what their personalities are going to be like and therefore what they could market to people. Now, the basic metaphor, both used by Republicans in general and often by Democrats too, is that uh, candidates are products in elections and they use marketing techniques to sell products, namely to sell candidates. And uh, Cambridge Analytica was using that metaphor uh, as well as the Republicans were using it. But they were using it on the basis of psychographic da data uh, and correlations with uh, 50 million profiles coming off of Facebook. That enabled them to predict uh, whether somebody was going to be likely to be, one, a likely voter, two, uh, whether they were going to be conservative or liberal or neutral or, you know, uh, or somebody who could be persuaded. And then it allowed them to target those people with different ads to sell different electoral products. But is picking your president a little different than picking your toaster or picking your car? Not too many of the people running campaigns. It is in terms of citizenship. It is in terms of what is good for the nation, you know, as opposed to what is good for the president or some candidate or some party. But uh, what happens is that uh, the um, uh, people who advise on elections are people who generally work for advertisers. That is, they're people who are in PR, public relations. Strategists in elections come from public relations firms in general. Uh, the uh, pollsters are the same people who use the same polling techniques uh, in, uh, in polling for products. 
you know, they're mainly, they make most of their money not on elections, but on uh, working for, you know, people who are selling products. So it's almost inevitable that American elections are going to come down to seeing candidates as products to sell. And that sales techniques are going to be used in those things. And they don't work by enlightenment reason or by logic or by just conscious thought. Now, part of uh, enlightenment reason says that if everybody has the same reason by terms of logic and conscious thought, then if you just tell them the facts, they all ought to reason to the same conclusion. And that just isn't true. It has never been true. It continues to be false. And But the Democrats keep just saying, oh, here are the facts, here are the facts, here are the facts. Uh, rather than, here are the values, and here are the facts that, that fit those values. Here are the facts that are important for those values. Here are the values that make this fact morally important and have this consequence morally. They don't say that. They just give the facts. And the main fact seems to be Trump is bad, which is exactly what got Trump elected, it seems. Exactly. And this is something that's very important to understand. There's a study done by the RAND Corporation of techniques used by the Russian trolls and by ISIS in their communications. And they found three things. One, it's important to frame first, to get your framing out there first. Two, it's important to repeat it and have your framing repeated by many, as many different kinds of people as possible. And three, it's important to get someone to attack you. Because uh, just as in Don't Think of an Elephant and Nixon saying, I am not a crook, when you, have neg when you negate something, you activate the thing you negate first in order to inhibit it. And that just makes it stronger. So uh, attacking is important. So when you attack and you say Trump is bad or during the Clinton campaign, they would just say have uh, videos of Trump saying outrageous things. That just helped Trump. It, you know, it got his name across. It got his ideas across. Those, those are three important points. I think there was a guy back in the 90s who wrote a book about that, or maybe in the 2000s, so George Lakoff, Don't Think of an Elephant. When I read that list of the three points that the ISIS trolls and the Russian trolls were using, it was shocking because it was exactly the points that you make in the opening of Don't Think of an Elephant. And so, again, like with Cambridge Analytica, like with the Russian trolls and ISIS trolls, we see that the anti-democratic forces that are supporting authoritarian figures like Donald Trump have fully embraced the use of cognitive science, psychology, social psychology, whatever you want to call it, psychological techniques, you know, brain science to manipulate voters. They know that you're not going to win by sitting there reciting the, the issues. And there was an interesting line from, I think, the Guardian story, one of the Guardian stories about Cambridge Analytica, which is that they're using military techniques, strategies, and technologies to manipulate the civilian population. And that's a pretty terrifying, uh, terrifying idea. It doesn't seem very American. They're also using academic research in general. For example, big data analysis and machine learning, which comes out of academic research, uh, and they're using it for conservative purposes. Uh, this is uh, a very interesting thing at the same time as they're trying to cut budgets for university research and budgets for graduate students. Uh, and, um, you know, but they are weaponizing these. And I think the term weaponizing is important. That is, they see this as war. 
It's a war of conservatism versus progressive thought. Uh, it's a war for authoritarian uh, regimes as opposed to democracies. They see that as a war and that uh, language and thought uh, are weapons and that ideas coming out of the universities are weapons. Speaking of weapons, here are two of the terms that are often used in conjunction with Cambridge Analytica and other projects like it that come straight out of military warfare and, and terminology. Um, the first one is psychological operations, psychological operations or psyops, which are defined as planned operations to convey selected information and indicators to audiences to influence their emotions, motives, and objective reasoning, and ultimately the behavior of governments, organizations, groups, and individuals. Well, that's right. These are psyops. No question about it. And they've been psyops for a for a time, um, starting back in 1994, with the um, uh, use of the um, uh, the Leadership Institute, setting up operations all over the country, training people to think and talk conservatively, and then booking them all over the country by the tens of thousands uh, to uh, repeat talking points, conservative talking points, day after day on talk radio, on local venues, and so on. Uh, this has been going on for well over 20 years, almost uh, almost a quarter of a century, and it works. That brings us to the second term, which is information dominance, which is the degree of information superiority that allows the possessor to use information systems and capabilities to achieve an operational advantage in a conflict or to control the situation in operations other than war while denying those capabilities to the adversary. The things that come to mind immediately are things you've talked about a long time, the Leadership Institute, the uh, Republican think tanks, which exist to create Republican speakers and intellectuals who then go out there and flood the airwaves that are always available for an interview, are constantly publishing columns to influence people's thinking. Fox News, which has completely transformed uh, cable television, basically turning this huge station into a state propaganda organ under Donald Trump, and during the time that Obama was in office, basically being the complete propagandistic opposition, which helped really launch Donald Trump with the birther movement. Speaking of a psychological operation, the idea that people are out there campaigning to tell everybody that the president is not an American is a pretty shocking way to manipulate the emotions and, and minds of people who might be willing to believe that because the president is at odds with their, with their political beliefs. Um, Sinclair Broadcasting, speaking of Absolutely. information dominance, you know, we have certain People on the Democratic side who spend a lot of money putting ads on TV, Republicans are buying the stations. What, what, what do we make of, of psychological operations and information dominance in conjunction here in 2018? First of all, it's no accident. This was set up in 1971 at the height of the Vietnam War by um, uh, Powell, by Lewis Powell. Uh, just before he went on the Supreme Court, appointed by Nixon. Uh, Powell was um, one of the, the major lawyer for uh, the uh, business community, and uh, he was uh, uh, asked to write something about uh, the state of um, conservative business practices. 
And he wrote a, a memo called the Powell Memo, which you can look up on the web. And what he said was that at the height of the Vietnam War, the best and brightest of our students do not want to become conservative businessmen. This is a disaster for business in the country, uh, and we need to, to change this. What we need to do, he said, was get rich conservative business people to endow chairs in major universities to teach conservative business practices. Hence the Olin chair at Harvard, for example, and various other chairs at Stanford and other major universities. Then he said, you want to also have them endow institutes at these places, the Olin institutes. And then he set up think tanks. He said, get our best intellectuals, pay them well, and so on, but also make sure that they can get out there. How do they get their ideas out there? One, you get you pay them and to get have lots of assistance. Two, you set up magazines and book publishing operations, which they did. And third, buy media, which is Sinclair going around the country buying media. And that was set up in 1971, and it's been carried out. Yeah, so all the way from the Powell Memo to Cambridge Analytica to the future, which will be artificial intelligence trolling, um, you know, the ability to maximize influence without even having a human being sitting there doing it. But you also see it in Trump every day. Trump knows how to dominate the media. That's why I did that anal analysis of his tweets. When you say that he has four types of tweets, one, establish the frame first, two, to, if he's being threatened to divert attention, you know, attack the football players taking a knee or, you know, or somebody else. Uh, three, blame somebody else. Blame the news media. Blame the Democrats for, do for no DACA, etc. Blame somebody else. And four, set up trial balloons. Say something really outrageous to see what the, what the pushback will be. And if there's not much pushback, then he's free to act any, do anything he wants. These are his four techniques he does with all of his tweets. And what it does is, is it dominates the media because the media assumes that its job is to report on what the president says. And as soon as they have to report on what the president says, he can manipulate them via those tweeting strategies into having him dominate the airwaves. And by the way, we were all distracted from the dramatic raid on Michael Cohen's office by bombs dropping on Syria. So would you say that Trump has the potential to use bombs in the way that he's used tweets? Of course. That is, uh, they are uh, diversions. There are other news that has to be covered. So it's diversions. That's what he does. And he knows how to do it. He knows how to do it every day. And the news media just fall, falls for it. And he's, I was asked by... Uh, people by, who uh, run on the media, Brooke Gladstone and her colleagues, uh, to say, what do you do to cover Trump? And my answer to that is first figure out what he's trying to hide, how he's trying to manipulate the media to not tell the important truths of the day. Then you start always, once you figure that out, by saying what the important truth is. And it's not just one fact. An important truth has a historical background, it has complexities, it has a moral basis and moral consequences. So you start there by saying, what is the most important truth that he's trying to avoid? Then you can say, ah, 
Notice what he said today. It contradicts the truths we've just seen. It just isn't. He, what he has said is false. And then you spend about 15 seconds at most on that and go back to the important truths. So what do we do about information dominance in the age of Cambridge Analytica? Are Democrats going to have an answer to this? Not the way they're setting things up right now. Right now, they don't have an answer to this. What they need to do first is to be able to find out who their voters are. They don't even know who their voters are and what their voters believe. Secondly, they need to give the voters the information to undermine the metaphor of uh, the nation as president, the, the president as the nation, to undermine that to separate out what's good for the nation from what's good for the president and what's good for the Republican Party. So there are lots of ways to do that, but it's information that needs to be gotten out there. And then in terms of elections, they need to know what the their voters believe and what they need to say in particular districts to help them win. They need to know that, and they need to know what, uh, what values there are in, in those districts what they have to undermine and what they have to support. I think I got an email from Tom Perez yesterday, a spam email, and the, the subject line was, I'm worried. Is that a winning message? It's a terrible message. It's a disaster, you know? And they keep saying this. They, they keep saying, uh, terrible things are happening. We're losing. Send money. We're losing. Send money. No, you don't send money to losers. You send money because you can win. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, somebody's done some study that says if you scare people, you'll get five bucks. But is five bucks what you really want in order to demoralize your own side? That's exactly the point, Gil. You hit it right on the button. Yes, you might be able to get them to send three bucks or five bucks this time or, or a number of times. But you get them um, all the time, uh, and they're asking for the wrong thing. And this is really important. So, for example, uh, I get uh, from a great congressman, I, will, I won't mention, uh, a terrific analysis of what is going wrong right now and what needs to be done. Then he says, send money, send $5, you know, donate now. And what he really needs to be doing and what everybody needs to be doing is to say, go on your Facebook page, your Twitter page, your, your website, uh, and say the following things. Get the following ideas across, and here's why. You get, the, you get these ideas across because they separate the idea of the nation from the idea of the president and, and the idea of the Republican Party. They, you get those, these ideas across, and they can be gotten across in the following kinds of messages for the following reasons, and the reason for that is they fit a moral profile. All of these messages are not there from, to manipulate people, but to say, here's what we believe, including ex saying exactly what the, your general beliefs are and what your moral, moral beliefs are, and what, if, if you're in the Democratic Party, what the Democratic Party stands for morally. You don't hear anything about it. You get lists of issues. You get lists of things that you're in favor of that you think that are going to be good for you, not you know, what this this party stands for. Buy this magazine or we'll shoot this dog. I think that was a famous ad campaign from the 1970s. We have a few questions here, George. 
Uh, most of them are about Cambridge Analytica stuff. The first one is from Eric Dossi, and we may have already kind of covered this, this answer. Eric asks, Dr. Lakoff, regarding the recent drama over Cambridge Analytica, are you concerned about what has essentially become the weaponization of moral psychology on such a massive scale? Do you feel like that in and of itself is part of the problem? Well, it's not good. Uh, the quest, there is a question of how effective it was and whether Cambridge Analytica did as much damage as uh, we think they did. And they may have. We don't know. But they're certainly trying, and they can be getting better at it. And the, um, if you take the Rand Corporation study I cited before, which is basically coming directly out of Don't Think of an Elephant, uh, basically the Russian trolls and other uh, terrorist organizations and so on know how to do it. You know, frame first, repeat it over and over, have many people repeat it, and get someone to attack you. And the, the tr Russian trolls apparently did have an effect. And while that's separate from Cambridge Analytica, it's hard not to see a weird parallel nature or similarity between the two. I don't think that link has been proven yet, but it certainly seems that uh, the Russian trolls had their own version of this kind of psychologically sorted manipulation happening, and they may have been a lot more effective to some degree. I mean, they were able to organize rallies in the United States based on false Facebook pages that people thought were either conservative or, in other cases, um, progressive or liberal-leaning. Um, so there is a, a question there. But the, the important point, like you said, George, is that we know they're trying it. And you can't win if you don't play, and they certainly are playing uh, the next question is from Zoe Combs, who always asks really great questions. Uh, so I'm going to read this one here. Zoe asks, Alexander Nix and Cambridge Analytica do agree with you that it is more powerful to make politics a discussion of morals, or as Nix says, play to their psychographic profile rather than their assumed views based on demographics. It seems that they have just digitally amplified the kind of conversation you want us to have, one that is moral. Cambridge Analytica has been solidifying a strict father morality, but I think the same solidification and amplification could happen for a nurturing parent view of the world. If so, that's like white hat actor versus black hat actor, but using the same technique. Some say we shouldn't be making things so morally and emotionally paranoid in the first place. Rather than copy the technique with a better story, should we put down arms and get back to conversations that seem to be less about our identity? I suspect you would think that this isn't realistic, but what do you think? There's a lot in that. First of all, George, I don't think Alexander mm -hmm. Nix is really talking about morality. No. Nix is not talking about morality. He's talking about how people can be manipulated. That's a very different thing from asking what people really feel about what's right and what's wrong. You know, and that's, you know, what we're trying to do is, to, is one, to say uh, what views people have uh, uh, about right and what views are out there and what's right and wrong and how they fit their politics. We talk about biconceptualism. Things that are not just absolutely polar, but, you know, uh, where people are mostly uh, progressive but partly conservative, mostly conservative, partly progressive, and how those changes happen over time. Uh, and um, then there's another very important thing. Uh, we are suggesting that the nurturant parent 
model fits the way America idea, America's ideas and ideals have been developed from the beginning. That is, we've said, for example, we have a government of, by, and for the people. That is central to what this country is about. It is the opposite of what strict father morality says, where it says, instead of a government is for the people, that is, it's responsible for the well-being of its citizens, they say, no, everybody is responsible for their own well-being. Period. There is no such thing as the government responsible for the well-being of its citizens. That goes against the idea of a government of, by, and for the people. Similarly, from the beginning of the country, you had the idea that citizens care about other citizens and work through the government to provide public resources for the benefit of everybody, businesses and individuals, uh, you know, so that they can be free and, uh, and promote their well-being. Uh, we've talked about this before. And that is why we have public resources that are important for private life and private enter enterprise. You can't have a business or a private life without using public resources. And this goes against what conservatives believe. That's what we're doing. We're looking at American ideas and ideals and promoting them. So telling the truth and trying to... Uh, make people more aware of our values for the purposes of greater participation in democracy, um, you know, more citizen engagement and awareness is very different from manipulating people to not vote or to vote for people who will harm the country or harm uh, their economic interests um, or getting people terrified of fake stories that are not real in order to influence their vote one way or the other. I think that's kind of what at the, at the heart of what you're saying. It is, but there's one more part of it. There are many people so turned off by how ugly politics has become that they don't want to go to the polls and vote, that they don't care about elections. Uh, surveys of uh, recent surveys of millennials and Latinos have shown that they're, they're not that interested in the 2018 elections. Uh, they may or may not vote. They're not sure, but they, you know, many of them will not, will not bother to go to the polls. And my response to that is that you vote. Everyone votes either going to the polls and voting for what they believe in or staying home and voting against what they believe in. Because when you stay home, you help the other side. That is, by failing to give your vote, you're giving their votes, uh, an extra, you're giving the other guys an extra vote. 